bullets. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. Yes, it's Superman. Strange visitor from another planet who came to Earth with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. Superman, who can change the course of mighty rivers, bend steel in his bare hands, and who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper, fights a never-ending battle for truth, justice, and the American way. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 32 of the Man of Screen podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo. On this episode, we're going to take a look at episode 7 and 8 of season 2 of The Adventures of Superman. And to help me out through this, I have Bob Fisher back again. Yay! You left the door unlocked. Yeah, I know. I, I got to see somebody about that. Uh, got to change the lock. I lost my key. And Well, I was just walking by. I heard the George Reeves theme song and thought, hey, somebody's watching that show without me. I better go make sure they know what they're watching. <laughs> I'm going to talk to the landlord about the locks in this place. Yeah. <laughs> a couple of good ones tonight again. Yep. Season two can't match season one in terms of sheer awesomeness, but. Right. But it's solid. It's a, it just a solid. good, solid season. It's good Superman show. It's a little lighter in tone. But, uh, you know, as I said, I think I might have said this back when we were talking, even on the Moleman episode, that to me, as we just talked even last episode, season two, to a lot of the people involved, was season one. Really, it was their first, the, the first that they actually shot was out there, and it's in the ether, but it hadn't been sold, and it sat there for a couple of years. And now they're starting over. But to me, personally, I still group season two with season one. When If I'm going to separate, make any kind of separations in the show itself as a whole, I separate seasons one and two from three, four, five, and six. Right. One and two each have 26 episodes, total of 52. And seasons three, four, five, and six have a total of 52 episodes, right. 13 each. So they cut the seasons in half practically. So you have the same number of color episodes as you have black and white episodes, but the color episodes were stretched over four seasons and there were just two black and white. So I do group the two black and white in my own brain together, even though attitude-wise, we're starting to see with season two a change in the attitude, a little lighter, a little more comic in certain areas, particularly with Jack Larson scenes. He himself said in the second season, they encouraged him at certain points to let that side of his ability shine. And he took total advantage of it. Yeah, And Jack has said, yeah, he really enjoyed that, the opportunity to do some comedy. Yeah, he really did. He, he thoroughly enjoyed these scenes and, you know, is totally on record. Both he, well, everybody actually was on record as totally planning for the seventh season. They all thought they would return. And uh, even with the death of John Hamilton, they were planning on returning. But then, of course, you know, you could get a new Perry White. Getting a new Superman under those conditions was not going to happen. 
after I finish the series, I'm gonna go into some of the stuff they tried to do. Oh, yeah, with Super Pup and things. Not even, <laughs> not even that. The Jimmy Olsen show they were gonna do with the back of Superman's head and. Body. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Well, Jack Larson just turned that down immediately. Yeah. But 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 I always uh, put the second season with the first, even though temperament wise, attitude wise, it's starting to get more like some of the color episodes where the the topics are simpler. You know, but I'm still on record. Every season, every single season, right up to the very last color episode, I will find some really, really spectacular episodes in every single season of this show. Uh, whether George is using fake glasses in the first couple of seasons or his own real right. glasses because he was nearsighted in the end, his own real black hair in the first two seasons, or a little makeup in the uh, little hair coloring in the yeah, he later seasons. He didn't have any real black, much real black hair left toward the end of the. Uh, I saw a picture of him from 1955. Yeah, I think in front of the train at Disneyland. Yeah, exactly. He looked exactly. ten years old. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. He was in his mid forties, but looked like he was practically fifties in his mid fifties. His hair was very gray, very early actually. So, but anyway, I, I still think there are some really spectacular, solid episodes in here. The second season that you're on. There are. And um, one of the episodes we're going to believe uh, that a a Superman can glow in the dark. (laughs) And leave fingerprints everywhere. Yes. He, yes. That is a fun episode. I remember. I remember watching when I was a kid, and then I realized watching it this time, I enjoyed the Ghost of Scotland Yard more than I remember enjoying it. Oh, good. I'm glad. I've always enjoyed the Ghost of Scotland Yard for all of its um, bad British accents and a few um, and a few other things that I'm going to mention later. Yeah, I'd like to talk to Andy uh, Leyland about some of this, but in particular the Ghost of Scotland Yard. Right. But before that, we're going to enjoy a letter from Dave McIlvaney. Oh, hey, Dave. Dave says, this is regarding uh, the episode we did on the human bomb and Star of the Underworld. Mm, okay. Gre- Greetings, Mike. Another fun episode as usual. Thanks to you and Bob Fisher for your coverage and discussion. I've been eagerly awaiting your take on the human bomb since I started seeing no comment until the time limit is up. Posted on Facebook a few <laughs> Dave, Yeah, we not- did kind of let that one out of the bag a little bit, didn't we? Dave has said <laughs> nothing about how many times I stuck that line in the episode. Yeah. I stuck it in there any, any ch- opportunity I did. I did that in editing. I kept how many thinking. how many beans in the jar? You can have a contest. How many times did Mike put no comment until the time limit is up? Quite a few. At least six or seven. <laughs> I even did it on the next episode, too. <laughs> then I did it at the end. I made everybody wait for like 30 seconds and then no comment until the time limit is up. <laughs> and then the recording stopped. So anyway, this is that is a very memorable line, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. It is. And I had a little too much fun with it. I have to agree that, even despite some flaws in the story itself, this was a good, fun episode of the TV show. It was scary for a little kid, but it it would, as you suggested at one point, have worked fine in later seasons of the series, too. Certainly, Jimmy Olsen was at his impetuous peak with his approach to the human bomb, (laughs) not only assuming that the dynamite was fake, but exposing Superman's ruse as well. That's not the kind of behavior that would earn a fellow a signal watch, and maybe that's why he had never had one on this TV series. And, Dave, I also don't believe the signal watch was invented yet. Yeah, I'd have to look that up, actually. I, it uh, was in the 50s, though. It, it was, was 50s. 58, 59, maybe? I'd have to look it up. Didn't that, did I'd that, have to look it up. Did, did, that pre, did the watch predate the Jimmy Olsen comics? Yes, I think so. Uh, I'm envisioning in my head, I have a cover in my head, and it's a 10-cent cover of Jimmy Olsen. It's actually Superman has the signal watch on. 
and he's calling Super Jimmy to get him out of Sand Trap. But it's a 10 cent comic and he's got the signal watch. So we're pre-1960, he has the signal watch. And uh, the Jimmy Olsen comic started in, I think, 56 or 57. So I'm not, again, I'd have to look it up. Gee, I should know that. (laughs) Yes, Bob, you should know that, but I'm old. Can I use the old card there? That works. That's probably something I did know at one time. Right. But has has left the gray matter. It's okay. So anyway, Dave goes on to talk about Czar of the Underworld a little bit, which, as he said, was, as you pointed out, a great Clark Kent and Bill Henderson episode. Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting to see the interplay between these two characters because it feels as if there is a genuine friendship, not only between Kent and Henderson, but between Superman and Henderson as well. In this series, there's often a bit of air of formality to the friendship between Superman and, say, Lois or Perry, or even a little with Jimmy, with Superman maintaining a little bit more distance from the planet staff than Clark does, but he seems much more relaxed and casual in his friendship with Bill Henderson, both as Clark and as Superman. Especially in the hotel with Henderson eating the steak scene. Yeah, that's a really good scene. That is. And the studio's paying for it. (laughs) And the studio's paying for it. From that, I draw two conclusions, Dave says. First, that George Reeves and Robert Shane must have had some level of friendship off screen, mm-hmm. which we've talked about. Right. And second, that the character of Bill Henderson must know Superman's secret identity. We've discussed that, too. <laughs> we have discussed that. And, it, you know, I think, yes, but not really doesn't want to. It's kind of like what, what they did in one. Um, I think they did this in Smallville towards the end when Lois found out. But. Uh, I thought they handled that really well. Of course she would find out. Of course people would know. But they're going to wait for him to tell. Right. You know, there's no sense spoiling it if he doesn't want to say it right now. I think that was what Chloe did. Yeah. 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 Which oh. is part of my favorite, one of my favorite characters ever in Superman mythos was Chloe. Has a lot to do with what's her face. Uh, I forgot Al- her name. Allison Mack. Allison Mack. Yeah. Just so good. So good. So back to Dave. His relationship with both Superman and Clark is much more one between peers, so he would see the similarities between Superman and Clark more easily than the planeteers would. Mm, And mm -hmm. he didn't get to be a police inspector by being a bad detective. (laughs) I believe he figured it out sometime over the course of the first season, but much like Pete Ross in the Superboy comics, decided to keep that knowledge to himself. Ah, See, they're a better analogy. Very good, That is a much better analogy. Much better. Thank you, Dave. Much better. Pete Ross. Perfect. Yes. And that served Pete Ross well until Alan Moore got a hold. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, Alan Moore. Anyway, back Mm -hmm. to Dave. As a policeman, he must carry the secrets of many people, and as a man of integrity, I imagine he keeps those to himself, as long as those secrets don't involve criminal behavior. Again, thanks for a great podcast, and keep them coming. Best wishes to Bob Fisher for a fast and full recovery to health and strength. Thanks, Dave. Appreciate that. I am feeling much better. Thank you. Live long and prosper. Dave Halkar McIlvaney. Woohoo! All right, so let's take a quick break. I'll play a podcast promo, and then we'll come back with Superman in Exile. Hang around, folks. When you think of podcasts about religion, you probably think of this. But at least one religion podcast sounds more like this. I kick ass for the Lord. Dorkness to Light is a relatively geeky production in which Alan and Emily discuss topics of faith, religion, and spirituality. But we do so through the lens of pop culture, like movies, TV, and comic books, because we're nerds. Our primary focus will be on Christianity, because that's what we know best. 
but all religious content is on the table. Well, think about it, Scully, from vampirism to Catholicism. This is an occasional cast, to be recorded and released as the mood strikes, with topics ranging from in-depth reviews to personal rants about some small aspect of theology or church history, because we're theological nerds. If these topics interest you, check out dorknesstolight.blogspot.com for our more regular content. Or dorknesstolight.tumblr.com for our more irregular content. Memes and puns, mostly. My bad. Dorkness to light. Often irreverent, rarely sacrilegious. All right, welcome back, folks. We'll move right ahead into Superman in Exile. Where is he? Is he in exile? That's what it says here. Oh, no. That sounds bad. That does sound bad. Reversal, too, as we see... A whole lot of Superman and not a whole lot of Clark in this episode. So, the original broadcast date was October 26, 1953. Writer was Jackson Gillis. And director was Tommy Carr. Was Jackson Gillis involved in the comics at all? Doesn't ring a bell. Did he write this episode? Yes. He writes quite a few of these episodes. Uh, Yeah, I'd have to look it up. It doesn't ring a bell. Does not ring a bell. All right. Guest cast included Leon Askin as Joseph Ferdinand. Joseph Fort. Well, Forte as Professor Adams, Philip Van Zandt as Reagan, John Harmon as Skinny, Robert Carson as Allen, Don Dillaway as Fred Harris, Greg Barton as the Sheriff, and Sam Balter as the radio announcer. Now for our synopsis, brought to you by supermanhomepage.com. Project X's nuclear reactor has gone wild. Any human that tries to stop it risks death. However, Professor Adams and Dr. Fred Harris are attempting to do so. It's out of control, and building in intensity every second. Gentlemen, we've got to stop it, or Metropolis and every living thing within a hundred miles is doomed. Yes, we've got to stop it, but how? Mechanically, it's very simple. All we have to do is to take the center control rod and insert it in aperture B-74 to neutralize the chain reaction. The trick is to get close enough to that monster to do it without... Without dying, that's right, Fred. But still, I have to try it. Well, not you, Professor Adams. I'm in charge here. It's my responsibility. But you're too important. Let me. Well, at least let me go in there with you. That way, if my body can protect yours, we can get close enough to it and have you do it. All right. Alan, get on the shortwave radio and alert all police, military, and civil defense. If we fail in this, Metropolis must be evacuated at once. Yes. Even as public relations man Joseph Ferdinand has entered the Daily Planet offices with the story of the exhibition of his country's crown jewels in the city. Here I am. It is I. In the midst of this dull afternoon, I've brought you the greatest story of the century. Permit me, my car, Joseph Ferdinand, public relations. I don't understand what you're talking about. You are no doubt Mr. Clark Kent, or perhaps Miss Lois Lane. No, I'm not Mr. Kent, or Miss Lane either. I'm Jim Olson, and I'm busy. Do you have something more important? Nothing is more important than the crown jewels of my so beautiful country. I'm sorry, but I can't afford to buy any crown jewels today. <laughs> buy? I'm not selling. I merely spread the enormous news that these beautiful jewels are to be exhibited here in your so charming city. Oh, I see. You're a press agent. You got the wrong department. Excuse me, Mr. Kent? Miss Lane, I presume. Be quiet. Stand by, all channels. Relay it. Police channels, stand by. Prepare to evacuate the city. Stand by, all channels. 
Mr. Kent, what's going on here? Just a minute, Jimmy. The professor's coming out of the main chamber now. Hold it. We'll still have it straight from him in a minute. I'm sure when you hear the importance of my story... Shh. Professor, do you have it under control? Control? No, I'm afraid not. Harris is still in there. Dead, perhaps. The nuclear pile is running wild. This is an emergency of the gravest nature. Huh? And you thought you had a story. You just heard what the professor said. There may be an explosion at any moment. Worse than a hundred atom bombs. Superman has just arrived at the Project X facility. He's managed to rescue Harris, who only needs to be decontaminated. As per Professor Adams' instructions, Superman removes the reactor center control rod and places it in another aperture. Superman succeeds in rescuing Metropolis again. The danger has passed, but another threat has arisen. Stand back, everyone. Get me a Geiger counter. But Superman, we want to thank you. Millions of lives were saved thanks to you. Get me a Geiger counter. Do as he says. Yes, sir. Professor, if there had been an explosion, that radiation would have been spread all over, wouldn't it? Yes, that's true. Now it simply can't happen. But it's new, isn't it? And you haven't quite figured on how to handle it, have you? The radiation? No. That's why we started to break up the pile the moment we discovered it. It's too dangerous. Anything contaminated may stay that way forever. You see? The terrific power of the radiation seems to have become concentrated in me. No, it can't be. Your whole body radioactive forever. While this does not harm him, anyone that comes in contact with Superman will certainly face a horrible death. Superman has exiled himself into the mountains of, of Blue Peak. Clark Kent has called Lois Lane and Jimmy Olsen to say that he's following Superman. Well, 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 Mr. Kent. And what air raid shelter have you been hiding in? Yes, Clark, we know all about it. We've already put out an extra on it. Surprise. Clark, it's horrible, isn't it? That radioactivity is all through him. He could bring death to anyone who comes near. Clark, wait. Where have you been? What? Well, where are you calling from? Well, uh, it's a phone, uh, sort of in the country. But Lois, why shouldn't I be in the country? I'm just trying to follow Superman and find out about him. Yes, but he's gone up in the mountains somewhere. Clark, I know that. Everybody knows it. He told Professor Adams he was going to get away from people. Jeepers, what's wrong? Clark, speak louder. This connection is... <laughs> Operator. Oh. Isn't it funny, the way Mr. Kent disappeared today just before Superman showed up out there and saved everybody? What? Shh. Clark, what's the matter with you? Why did you call? Lois, I told you. I just called to tell you I won't be coming back for a while. No, I don't know when. It'll be longer than that, I'm afraid. Much longer. Lois, maybe I shouldn't have called you at all. Clark, what kind of a story could possibly keep you away? 
Clark, you haven't said anything yet except about Superman. Lois, I'll, I'll just have to write you a letter or something about it. I can't explain it to you now. I'm sorry. Goodbye. The telephone operator says that the call came from Blue Peak. Jimmy, he was calling from near Blue Peak, the same place where Soup... Oh, no, he just couldn't be. Just the same. The next time Mr. Kent's around, I'd sure like to put a Geiger counter on him. Then we'd find out if he's Superman. So it makes me wonder. Maybe you can't. Huh? Clark says he can't come back. And why can't he unless... Unless he's Superman. Joseph Ferdinand, in an effort to get publicity for his country's crown jewels, has gone to Reagan and his henchman Skinny. Here I am. It is I, one side, young man. Who is it, Skinny? Oh, it's you again. Precisely. The name is Ferdinand. Now, Mr. Regan, regarding the crown jewels my country is sending for an exhibition. Throw them out. What? Come on, press agent. But I've told you of the value. I've told you. I was handling all of the arrangements. Don't argue with the man. Yes, I've even told the papers the jewels are arriving by ship and they are not. They will be here tomorrow night by a special plane and I'm the welcoming committee. I told you, I don't want to handle a job that big. Not in this town. It's too dangerous. Besides, here in Metropolis, we got a great big guy named Superman. But haven't you even seen this? It's like I told you, Mr. Ferdinand. I like to play it safe. And the man doesn't want to read the paper. Now, come on. Hold it, Skinny. Let him go. Exile. <laughs> Self-imposed banishment to Mount Blue Peak in order not to endanger other human beings. How much did you say those crown jewels were worth? A king's ransom. Now, here's the way I thought we should handle it. Your friend Skinny here can fly a plane, you say. Yeah, don't worry about it. We'll take care of it. Well, what do you know at last? <laughs> well, it looks like there'll be a hot time in old Metropolis in more ways than one from now on. Yes, sir. With Superman stuck up on a hill and out of our air. As crime runs rampant in Metropolis, Professor Adams has given Superman suggestions by telephone on how to rid himself of the lethal radiation. Yes, Superman, how did it work? Did it get rid of the radioactivity? Oh, which one, Professor? Hmm? Well, the grounding in the iron ore? Well, I found a deposit, and I dove right straight through it. I can't tell you. Uh, just a moment. No, Professor Adams, I'm afraid you better try something else. All right, all right. I've got more faith in the acid idea anyway. We'll parachute drop a tank of the solution to you in the morning. This may be the neutralizing agent that will do the trick. Yes, I've read all the books you sent me. Oh, that reminds me. You're getting your papers, aren't you? Have you noticed how the crime situation in Metropolis has increased? Well, of course I've noticed. What can I do about it? When everyone I go near is threatened with the same radiation. I have the best research men in the country working on your problem. We'll find a solution, if there is one. All right. Goodbye. Superman, I have received a reply from Dr. Fisher in Vienna. His theory is that some kind of counteracting shock might do the trick. But there would have to be a way to carry the energy off. But what kind of energy would do it? He doesn't know, and frankly, neither do I. Joseph Ferdinand is into Lois Lane's office. Pardon me, Miss Lane. What? It is I. They said you would work late tonight. So it struck me like a brick that here was the way to have proper coverage for the arrival of my country's jewels. 
Feature editor will take care of that story. But Miss Lane... He's already assigned a photographer to meet the steamship. Don't worry. There's a secret. You can have a scoop. The exhibit is arriving in half an hour on a special plane. The story will be all yours, if you convince me to meet it. Oh, it's just not that important a story. Oh, I'm sorry, that's not true. I'm worried about something else, that's... Well, job's a job, I guess. Let's go. Skinny and Regan are waiting as he brings Lois to their car. In reality, the trio wants to hijack the craft and steal the jewels. They need Lois as a hostage to guarantee that the radioactive Superman won't go after a ship with his friends on board. As Skinny flies the airplane carrying Reagan, Ferdinand, Lois, and the Crown Jewels, Superman has become restless because he cannot rescue Lois and put the thieves in prison. A weather report on the radio gives him an idea. And now the nightly weather report. Storm warnings and a probable thunder shower for you farmers of the region beyond... mountain region building up the heaviest pressure. Lightning and immoderate rainfall expected before the storm passes. Stay tuned to this station for the latest news and weather reports. A counteracting shock of some kind. Superman has just flown into the storm clouds. Lightning continues to strike him and he begins to notice that he is no longer glowing. Feeling the radiation has left him, Superman goes in search of Lois and the criminals that have captured her. At the same time, Skinny has some difficulty flying in the bad weather. He is forced to land in a nearby airfield. I think we better stay right here, Miss Lane. For too long, we will continue our little trip. Sorry, mister, but I'm afraid your little trip is over. Now, just take it real easy. Nothing's gonna happen. You all right, Miss Lane? Well, how do you know who I am? He told me. Guess he gave you a pretty rough ride, huh? Who told you? Who gave us a rough ride? Why, Superman. Superman? Skitty! Never mind him, mister. My men have got him already. Come on, let's go. Superman, so that's who it was. That's right, Miss Lane. He gave me a phone call, told me he was going to force the plane down here. Come on. Good evening. And where have you been, Mr. Kent? Me? Oh, I've been around. Oh, around, eh? And I suppose you can explain why you and Superman have both been missing for approximately the same length of time? My dear Miss Lane, don't you realize there's a logical explanation for everything? All right, start getting logical. Well, let's just say that Superman had certain things to do and I had certain things to do. Such as? Well, Superman had a hunch that if he exposed himself to the full fury of an electrical storm, it might neutralize the radiations he'd absorbed. Well, it worked. Oh, it did, eh? And I suppose if Superman isn't radioactive anymore, you aren't either. Me? Radioactive? I should say not. See? This is a Geiger counter. If I were radioactive, this gadget would be clicking away like mad. And what are you doing with the Geiger counter? Oh, well, Superman asked me to check this plane for any traces of contamination. Obviously, it's perfectly all right. See? No clicks. You're just trying to confuse me. But Superman and you... I still wonder. Wonder? Well, it's no wonder you wonder. You're a pretty wonderful girl. Before we go on, I want to want to make a note that this episode is based on the story A Superman of Doom in Action Comics number 124 from September 1948. Ooh, research. Yep. We could thank TV.com for that. Is that, what it, is that where you got that? That's where I got that. Action 124? From September 1948. Mm, that's old. That is old. 
But Superman was 10 years old at the time. He so. was. And elements from this episode was redone as the Spectral Superman in Action Comics number 188 in January of 1954. Hmm. Bob, what do you think of this one? I might have that one. I'm going to have to look those two up. Uh, I enjoy it. I enjoy this episode. <clears throat> you know, again, in spite of some of the um, obvious problems with filming and stuff, I enjoy the episode. I think it's a fun episode all the way throughout. I like the idea of how Superman has to solve a problem. And how, what does he do if he can't come near people? How does he save them? That's always still Superman's priorities. How do I help people if I'm deadly to them? And we see some nice new scenes here, which we'll get into, but <clears throat> stuff they had to film specifically for this episode, external right. stuff, stuff that Superman had to do flying and interacting with airplanes. And I think overall, George did a good job with, with those scenes. He did a real uh, good job conveying Superman's restlessness and, yes. his, and his frustration. Yes, yes. Because really, when you think about it, Superman had to wait for other people to give him the answer. Right, right. Could have put it together earlier, you know, maybe. Wouldn't have been much of a show. But they, they tell him that, you know, maybe an electrical shock earlier or something, possibly whatever. He remembers that. But he remembers that when he hears it on the radio right. or something and then thinks, oh, electric storm. Okay. But, yeah, I think overall, and we'll get into when you do the, the more detailed stuff. Right. But overall, I really like the episode, I think. And we've got some really good scenes, some very dramatic scenes in fact, right off the bat. He starts off very dramatically. The one thing I, I remember this episode from when I was a kid, mm -hmm. but the only thing I really remembered about it before I watched it on the, DV on the DVDs yeah. was the glowing Superman. Mm, okay. So that's, not an well, that was... that's not an image that's easy to forget. No, no, especially if when you do see this for the first time as right. a kid, which, of course, I did as well. The glowing Superman is very, uh, you know, it stands out. It, right. it, it really puts an imprint in your mind. And I remembered, for me as a kid, I remembered how he solves the problem. Right. Yeah, I, I remember that, too, in the light right. bulb. And, of course, the other thing that just stands out, and I joked about this earlier when we were first talking, is that the scene of him talking on that phone, then when he turns the lights out, you see his um, fingerprints right, glowing on the, on the phone, but they stay there the whole time in yeah. the same spot, whether the lights are on or off. And it just looked weird. But uh, that would have been a nice modern effect. It would have only glowed at certain points. Right. But in those days, they paint some, you know, fluorescent paint and a little post-production effect on it. And which probably was all done by hand probably. again. You know, Probably at these time periods. Phosphorescent paint or something. Right. So, yeah, I enjoy it. I enjoyed that. So this episode starts off with a bunch of scary explosions. Mm -hmm. Right at the uh, right at the outset. And it's loud, too. Yes, it's loud. It sounds like fire loud. going off. Yeah. But there is one thing I noticed. The uh, device in the background, mm -hmm. the little, uh, it's in the back, and it's got, like, the little pipes around it. Right. That looks exactly like Luthor's Cyclotron from the Atom Man serial. <laughs> It might be. Yeah, it's, it might funny. be a, re a recycled prop. Yeah, that's pretty funny. So, <clears throat> obviously, this reactor is going critical. Yeah, and I love this scene, too, where before even Superman gets there, all these actors, you know, and the guy says, No, Professor, don't go in right. there. Let me, let me, at least let me go with you, and you can use my body to shield you. And That'll they, protect you. Yeah, and they go in, <laughs> and you can tell they don't have a, they don't have a prayer. They don't have a prayer. It's over. Before they even take two steps into that thing, boom, you're gone. 
Spock. Spock. <laughs> <laughs> and then, interestingly enough, we go right from that to Ferdinand showing up in a very comic scene between him and Jimmy. Oh, a great scene yeah. here. Really good timing scene here. Again, Jack Larson. Poof. So underrated. It's, very, so it's underrated. a very stark contrast to what we just saw, where this guy comes in all flamboyantly, and Jimmy tells him, you know what? No, I can't afford to buy any crown jewels today. Yeah, it's really funny. Jimmy's timing in this. In fact, both of them. Right. The timing back and forth in this scene, and they're moving, and they're walking, and there's they're you know in contact with each other's body. And uh, this is not a recurring character. This is no. not a regular guy. This isn't even one of the regular recurring actors. No. This is his shot. He's on Superman. He comes into a cast that knows each other and does this scene with uh, Jack Larson. That is such good, so right. good. And and the guy, even even as the next scene, the next time we see the guy following them in when they're all listening right. to the thing. Am I jumping too far ahead? But no, 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 you're not. I just want to make a note that I hate PR people who come off strong like this. <laughs> you hate PR people? Well, PR people serve a very important function. In our society, we are a consumer society. We are a capitalist consumer society. We are America, public relations, PR. That is as American as red, white, and blue. Yes, it is. And I I deal with them all day. (laughs) Uh, No, that is 200 miles from where I work. I'm not interested. (laughs) And they keep calling. So Well... They got to do their job. They they do. And And I will defend them. Advertising, marketing. It's what they do. Somebody has has to create that phrase that will convince you to buy whatever it is that they're supposed to do. It's very important. Well, he's going to keep trying to sell his story about the crown jewels, uh, even as uh, they're listening to uh, the report of the the civil defense call from the uh, reactor. Right. Now, let me ask you a question. As we know, as we get into the story, the guy then goes to the crooks and says, hey, look what's happening and Superman's gone and you can do all this bad shit. Now, the question is, was he planning that right away? Or is that something that his plan evolved once he figured out something was wrong with Superman? Because is he here just to get advertising and do his job? Was he a good guy in the beginning, just trying to do his job, gets a cold shoulder from the planet people, and then realizes that oh superman's gone and in trouble and hmm well i i would think that this might have been part of his plot i don't know if getting rid of superman was part of his plot but but you think his plot all along was to steal the uh um, the jewels the jewels i think so not just to uh publicize their arrival yeah because yeah you can't find the criminal gangsters in the phone book no you cannot and he knew exactly where to go that's true so I That's think they were, so it was okay. I'll go along with it. I I'm I not, can I can go either way. I can go either way on that. I'm not exactly sure why he needed to kidnap Lois at all. Uh, well, only because if once they realize Superman is contaminated, they even say it. They want to make sure that well, he might go ahead and contaminate the right. plane if there's just a bunch of crooks in it. But if his girlfriend's in it, then he's not going to come anywhere near the plane. Well, so. I, I believe that's an error on their part because I don't think he was going to be coming after anyone. Right. But, you know, they're crooks. They would think Superman's going to let the bad guy. And this is still early 50s. So a lot of the early Golden Age Jerry Siegel type Superman 
let the bad guys die if they're if they're stupid enough to do that let them go when he could save them but why should i bother i'll just get lois off the plane goodbye bad guys we've talked a lot about season one being very much a golden age superman right we're transitioning we're transitioning now into uh silver age type stories yes we are we are transitioning the the second season is about 50 50 that's a guess on my part i haven't really done that but there are some very definite silver age things happening here both good and bad i'm not you know i'm not saying that as a negative thing that going from golden age to silver age is in itself a bad thing no but it's it's a different kind of storytelling but it is totally a different kind of storytelling and then as of course the series progresses they go strictly after kids at that point right. so first season it's an adult primetime drama show second season little of both third through sixth it's it you know could almost be saturday afternoon or right. morning show but but anyway anyway back to the back to the back to the back, back. all right so back. so ferdinand back. keeps talking and they keep shutting him up because they're trying to listen Right. And uh, Clark slinks out of his office without his hat on. <laughs> and by the power of editing, he goes into the storeroom with his hat on. Right. See, I'm noticing this now. <laughs> well, and uh, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I had to point those little things out. Those are the things that once you start seeing these episodes hundreds of times each, you start to look for other things. How is his tie tied when he leaves one place to go to the next? Does he have his hat? Does he take his glasses off? All of those little things you start to see. And I think it was mentioned earlier that there are times when he has his hat on when he leaves, let's say, his office and goes to the door, to the storeroom, and he doesn't have the hat. Reverse of what they just did here. Whereas in this episode, he leaves the office without the hat. But by the time he gets to the storeroom, he's got the hat on his head. As I may have mentioned earlier, if you if they could have afforded it, they could have paid some guy to sit there and let's let's sync all this stuff up. I know I've got takes of him with and without the hat. Let's make sure they sync up. But shooting as quickly as they did on the schedule they did. To me, I'm surprised they got it. Even the fact that he's supposed to be going to the storeroom right. and he actually goes to the storeroom. Right. So well, they could yeah. have at least given a given him a hat rack. Given him a hat rack. <laughs> he could have grabbed it as he was going out the door. Right. Well, he has one in his office, but it's at the other side of the door. <clears throat> depending on how they need the set for the shot. He never seems to use it. He always throws his hat on his desk. Well, but remember in uh, in the uh, defeat of Superman. There was, remember when Jimmy Clark is pacing back and forth a couple of times in his office and Lois is sitting on Clark's desk. Jimmy is to next to the cabinet. Clark is holding his hat as he paces back and forth after being shot. Right. Then he throws his hat and puts it on the hat rack, which is hidden. It's actually behind the filing cabinet where Jimmy is leaning on. But then you see that Clark throw his hat on the hat rack. That's when he reaches inside his jacket and Jimmy notices it. Yes. And says, uh, you got a problem there, Mr. You hurt your shoulder, uh, Mr. Kim. Oh, just a bee sting, Jimmy. So you see, that's the kind of, that is by the way, the most kind of stuff you see. That is the most inconvenient place to keep a a hat rack. 
Well, of course, of course. In other scenes, the hat rack is where it should be. It's right next to the door as he comes in. But for this scene, they needed everything closer. It's a much closer. Everything is tighter in this scene. The desk is closer. There's not as much pacing room between. Sometimes you can get three or four steps between his desk and the filing cabinet. This time, he turns around from the desk and the filing cabinet and Jimmy are right there. So uh, it depends on the shot and who what they needed to do, I guess. But little things like that. I think I've seen the shows too many times. Right. So any, <laughs> anyway, Superman is on his way to save the day. As, as, so you, you, always, you always know when Superman is going to go help good guys. Because mm-hmm. he, go, he goes in through the door. <laughs> right. So the professor tells Superman what he needs to do. Tells him some radioactive gobbledygook. And he goes in. Superman, yep. he's having some trouble with the wind. Yep. little and, Marcel Marceauing it here. Right. And But as all uh, good Supermen do, he pulls... Uh, the other guy out first exactly save the people the people the people hopefully when he came out to save him he didn't irradiate anybody in his presence <laughs> all right did both of those scientists live well i don't think we see harris again but the mm. other guy is adams who was on the phone with him for the whole episode so he he apparently made it yeah okay that's right that's right that's right so, uh, but I do like this scene when Superman, it's so simple. It's just a fun thing. But they got these little fire things shooting out all over the place. Yeah. Yes. Pull the rod out of this one and stick it into that one. Yeah. Which is basically what he does. And it's funny, funny because they actually give him a number for that. Take it out of this one and put it into that one. B-47. Yeah. Right. B-47. And, for, and uh, before he hands over Harris to Adams, he mentions that uh, he's loaded with gamma rays. Mm, gamma. Yeah, That's thank, right. He does say gamma rays. He says gamma rays. Thank God wow. this guy's name wasn't Bruce Banner, or we'd have one hell of a crossover on wow. our hands. Let's see. This is fifty-three. Yeah. This is wow. Tw- almost twelve years before the Hulk appears. Right. We have a guy being irradiated by gamma rays. Cool. But they didn't do anything to him. No, he, he nothing did, happened. No, he didn't turn green. I do like that Superman struggles a little bit with this, at least a little bit. Yeah, me too. I like the fact that's one of the things I liked about the show uh, pretty much in its entirety is that there are times when Superman actually struggles to do things, but he does them. Right. The same guy that can leave the planet has a little trouble going against this atomic wind thing. Right. But he eventually when he gets to the rods, he makes it look easy. And well, he knew the map. Take it out of that one and put it over here in B-47. Right. And right after that, after everything is all clear, I love this moment between Lois and Jimmy when they uh, when Jimmy runs in and they hug and celebrate not being uh, not <laughs> right. being vaporized. A great emotion <clears throat> between right. the two of them. Right. I think Phyllis Coates would have stood there with a stern look on her face. No, she would have done fine. <laughs> she was good too. Um, I think it's funny that that you know you can pretty much tell here already, even in this the second season or low, uh, Noel Neal's first season, that how how much they're shooting scenes with Jack Larson and her together. Right. The only episode that I can really think of when they Lois and Jimmy went off together in season one was the Incas. Yeah, but there was another one. The guy who drug would drug people, and uh, in the first season would drug them and. And he, when he drugged Lois, right, he said, it's "The secret of Superman." You know, yeah, the, is that what it was? The secret yeah. of Superman. Yeah, that one. Jack Larson and 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 Phyllis Coates have a couple of really good scenes together. You know, with her going in there, and you know, uh, that was really good. They have a few, but not as much. In right. this one, from here on, almost now, it's Jack and Noel. It almost becomes the formula. 
Yeah. Lois and Jimmy oh, go off, go get all, get in trouble. Superman comes in to save the day. Exactly. Exactly. So, it's but fun nonetheless. Absolutely. We like our formulas. Superman. Everything's a formula. Everything is. And Superman sounds very tired when he comes out of the reactor. So yeah. it's it's clear right immediately after that this took something out of him. Yeah. This was But I do have to laugh though. Um Right after this, as he comes out and they close the door and he and he kind of holds his hand up a little bit, tell them not to come near him. The way that they get the Geiger counter to him and then the camera goes down to the floor because the guy puts the Geiger counter down on the floor and then uses his foot to push the Geiger counter towards Superman. Right. So that he doesn't get close. But he pushes him within like six inches. It's very dramatic. And I understand how and why and all that and stuff, but it's still really stupid when you think about it. Well, really, Superman should never have come out of that room. Exactly. Exactly. Because if where you put hit the Geiger counter, if that did not mess up the guy that pushed it over there, then nobody, don't worry, you don't need to worry. You know, because that guy got close enough. In fact, everybody in that room is technically Yeah, he, he irradiated everybody in that room. Right. So apparently not. <laughs> apparently not so so they did move on but that was what some of the things that i think about and that's again that's looking at that with very critical eye right. i also don't i'm not sure if back then they really understood radiation the way they do now well the writers may not have well, you're right definitely but didn't. right but uh you're right but uh and again for dramatic purposes because it's turn out the light oh my goodness he's glowing he's glowing in the dark okay but i can still with my foot pushed this Geiger counter over to him. Yeah. And then uh, how does he even leave the room? They had to leave the room first, and they don't show that, but the exit door, he has to go by them to get out. So he had to wait for all of them. Anyway, We don't. I'm thinking, overthinking yeah, it, he, a scene that wasn't even there. He should never even have come into the room with them in it. Exactly. They should have looked through the glass, and he should have done hand signs or something to let them know that I better not come out of here. So, but anyway, he does. But it, what's, then, what's interesting, though, and obviously, if this happens, we don't have an episode. But exactly, when he, Superman pulls Harris out, he says, "Put him in in decontamination." Oh, right. Why right. can't Superman go through decontamination? Because he's Superman. He's Kryptonian. Normal decontamination won't affect him. He has been exposed. Plus, he's been exposed to much higher intense form of the radiation than Harris had, and because the plot demands it. And because the plot totally demanded Superman, it's called Superman in Exile. Right. They needed to get, get him out of there. So, But yeah, it works fine for me. So I do like the shot of Superman glowing in the dark. That's a nice effect, and I wonder how they did it. Because it does uh, look like the light is generating from within him. Yeah, but it's a good effect. It is. And we don't get, and maybe we don't get to see it that much. No, and if I had done my homework, maybe I would have looked it up. It might even be in the um, serial to serial. Right. They might actually tell you how. And I'm noticing something from the past few episodes. Yes. Where's John Hamilton? Uh, good question. He has not been around. He's not in this one. He wasn't in Ghost. He had one scene in Shot in the Dark. Hmm. And I don't think he was in the Kryptonite episode either. Interesting. Where is Perry hiding? Especially because, and we'll get to this when we talk about it. There's a scene that definitely need, required Perry in, Scot in Scotland Yard. Right, but they had him talking on the phone. Right, but th that's for the next episode. That's yeah, they used Lois instead of Perry. Right. But now we go right to a phone call between Lois and Clark in this episode. Well, 
Lois doesn't know Superman is talking on the phone to her as Clark. Right. And after she's done with her uh, professional gloating, she becomes a human being again and starts expressing her concern for Superman. Uh-huh. And I mean, that was a rather abrupt, quick change, too. Yeah. Clark is covering his absence by saying he's covering Superman. And you can see this particular Superman is not used to having to cover for long absences. Right. Because he really kind of doesn't know what to say to her. Right. You can see his frustration already because he's kind of taking that out on Lois a little bit. Right, but it is Clark Kent now. So Clark has to figure out how to, uh, and I think he did a fine job telling her that he's just going to be following Superman. Superman is contaminated. He told her the story. That's what we're kind of getting is that Clark told Lois the story, but says, and I'm going to be up, I'll be away because I'm going to stay with, I'm going to cover him. I'm going to get as close as I can. That's kind of what he was, you know, leading us to, to believe in his story. And given all this, Lois is still surprised when she finds out the phone call came from Blue Peak. Right. Superman is up at the cabin. You think this is the, the cabin? I've heard people suggest that it might be. <laughs> <laughs> the cabin in which he was going to <clears throat> stow Connie and Ace during the exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I think it is. I like to believe it is. It's too. Superman's hidden secret little cabin in the hill. And uh, it's not exactly a fortress of solitude. But I go along with the fact that it is that cabin. Right. And it doesn't matter if it is. It doesn't matter if it's not. But it's just, you know, some of that some fun fan speculation. If you want it to be that cabin, it, it is. It is. Because there's and nothing to say that it's not. No. And I am the Bob. And right. therefore, it is. I like that people are so invested in this show that they'll make that connection. Mm-hmm. Well, I thought of it immediately. Right. See, I didn't because I didn't see the stolen costume until much later. Ah. Uh, well, I don't mean I thought of it immediately back when I right. was like 10 or like anything like that or 6. But no, later, probably, I don't know when. Right. I guess when I got the DVDs, which right. was that, like a bunch of years ago. Yeah, I think they started coming out about 10 years ago. Yeah. After he's done on the phone, this is when he turns the light off and he left the uh, radi- radioactive fingerprints on his phone. <laughs> right. Jimmy is uh, getting into the secret identity game a little bit more here as he speculates that Clark and Superman have disappeared at the same time. Mm-hmm. Isn't it funny? Yeah. And then for those of us who are too slow to keep up with what Jimmy is saying, Lois tells us, <laughs> perhaps because he's Superman. Yeah. Perhaps. And perhaps. And we then we then the next scene uh, we get some uh, glowy uh, Superman feeling sad and disconnected from humanity. Mm-hmm. So now our, we get Ferdinand again because we need to revisit this plot line now. As he goes to see Regan and uh, what's the other guy's name? Skinny. Uh, I forgot his name, but I think it's Skinny. Yeah. yeah. Regan is played by Philip Van Zant, who we remember from Crime Wave. He was exactly. He was one of the boss's uh, henchmen. henchmen. The chauffeur who becomes Micah. Uh, I actually saw a story about him not too long ago that he was offered uh, a recurring bad guy role on Superman. Like Louis Lemon comes on later. And, you know, like eventually they have like this eight guys that they rotate that come back all the time. 
And he was offered that to be one of the main bad guys, right. a recurring bad guy on Superman show. <clears throat> and he said, no, he didn't want to get tied down doing a, a network TV show at that right. time. Right. And TV was still new at this point. So. And it was still new. And he was a theater guy and he thought he was going to do movies. Right. Because he had had some smaller parts and then some other stuff. But about a year after this, I think it was 54, 55, 56, I'm not sure the exact date, sometime in the mid 50s is when he gets the role as Micah the sheriff on um, The Rifleman. Right. So that becomes his role. I mean, he he becomes that. Uh, he also, I think, did a Star Trek episode. So the guy's been around the block right. once or twice. So, Good actor. So Regan throws him out. So maybe uh, he is trying to sell the plan to them. For- See, that's that's the way I thought it. That it was, they, they didn't know each other at all. This is the first time they're meeting. The, he shows up. And then shows, you know, uh, tells them what he wants to do. And then the bad guys say, don't be stupid, you know. And plus, this is Metropolis. Superman's here. Right. Don't be ridiculous. Your plan will never work. That's ridiculous. And that's when he shows them the newspaper that, oh, haven't you heard? Yes, your precious Superman is not coming. I'm doing a wrong accent right. for him, but I don't even know what his accent was. See, I think Ferdinand was planning to steal the jewels. Okay, I, I, I can go along with that he was planning to steal them all along. But this is where he's trying to find some help. But this is where, exactly. I never really put that together. I'm accepting your your take on it. I always considered that it was almost out of um, frustration and opportunity. Right. That he thought, oh, well, if Superman's gone, then if I do this and this and this, I could have it all. And I always thought it was a plan that he hatched after he wasn't getting a whole lot of satisfaction at the Daily Planet. But, you know, who knows? If if Jimmy had just said, sure, here, I'll write your story up, was that part of the plan? Get the right. publicity and then steal them somehow. I don't know. But I can go along with, with the fact that it was a plan to steal them all the, all, the whole time. Well, because he, but, but I think he's meeting these guys, the bad guys, Reagan and them. Right. For uh, the first time. For the first time right now. Maybe there's a directory for gangsters mm. in the un, an underworld directory or something. Mm. I don't think you can well, look, You can't look these guys up in the yellow pages. Wow, that just scared me. I'm sitting in the front room of my house, and uh, a cop just pulled a car right in front of the house just and just hit his siren and blue light just <laughs> that quick. It was just, just like that. Well, oh, what the hell? Right. Well, don't talk too loudly about your plans to steal the crown jewels. <laughs> right, <laughs> right, right. So apparently Regan is not very well read because he doesn't know that Superman is gone. Right, and he doesn't listen to the radio. I think this has been on the radio, too, because they were listening to the whole thing on the radio at the planet. And uh, it's very nice of Superman to tell everybody where he is so they can't come visit him. Right. Obviously, they're quite happy about Superman being gone, and now they're willing to uh, go along with Ferdinand's plan here. So we meet up with Superman again back at the cabin. He's now a, he's, His new hobby is to uh, make as many books as radioactive as he can. <laughs> it's tough to get, it must be tough to get good TV reception in the... In the woods. Right. Yeah, I, I think it's funny in that cabin what they chose to um, have glow and what doesn't glow. Right. Because at a point, nothing glows anymore except Superman, but there's still the fingerprints of where he's been in certain things. Right, the phone specifically. Right, the phone, but not the radio, none of the books that he's reading, not the chair he's sitting in. Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. By now, this entire cabin should probably be glowing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you would have thought he'd bring a change of clothes with him. 
It's got to be awful uncomfortable in that Superman suit all the time. No, he's Superman. So obviously this is where we find out that he's been working with the scientist uh, for however long he's been gone. But so far all methods have failed. And you can see Superman is getting frustrated here because, especially after Professor Adams was nice enough to remind Superman about how the, how bad the crime rate is. Mm-hmm. You know? And Superman gets pretty short, gets a little short with him. And his frustration... A little frustrated, yeah. His frustration is understandable. He's used to being able to do everything, and now he can't do anything. I think this is one of George Reeves' best acted episodes. Yeah, I like it too. I think yeah. George shows a lot of emotion, a lot of frustration and anger and satisfaction. Right. <clears throat> and they had to shoot two new flying scenes for this right. as we get to the end here when he gets, starts getting fixed. I mean, for the most part, all he has to do, especially as Superman, is to just look tough, throw a punch or two, and uh, or bend a gun and catch the bad guys. <laughs> right. And give Lois a lecture when it's appropriate. Right. He's doing a great job playing a frustrated and helpless Superman. Now he Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, Bob, are you related to this Dr. Fisher in Vienna? Uh, no, only, only his brother. Yes, his brother. It's funny, they've used that more than once, the name Dr. Fisher in... There was a Fisher in Double Trouble. Double Trouble, yeah, exactly. Was that the one with the monkey, the organ grinder's monkey? No, that was the monkey mystery. The monkey mystery. There was a Dr. Fisher in that one, too. But yeah, they, yeah they've used Dr. Fisher several times. This is when he says that... A shock might do it, and nobody has any idea where he'd get this shock from. But the only power source capable of generating 1.21 gigawatts of electricity is a bolt of lightning. What did you say? A bolt of lightning. Unfortunately, you never know when or where it's ever going to strike. Hmm. So let's put, we'll put that in our pocket for later. <laughs> so now we go back to Lois, where she's having trouble writing whatever story she's writing. You know, she's biting her thumb very nervously. And here comes Ferdinand again. And... She wants nothing more than for this guy to go away. But then she realizes, well, I am a reporter. Okay, that is a story. Okay, fine. Fine. Yeah. This is one thing I don't understand how this Daily Planet works. She already told him that this has been sent off to the features editor, to, right. who's already assigned a photographer. Right. Well, but she's Lois Lane. Yeah, but I still think this story is a little below her pay grade. Yeah, but, you know, she's Lois Lane. But you're right. She shouldn't have anything to do with this. She should kick him out and say, see you around. But plot. Bad guys need to kidnap Lois. Right. And she gets right in the car and Noel Neal really shouldn't scream. It's not as good as Phyllis Coates. No, 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 it's not. But she does her best. She, just, she does. She's got to work with what she's got. And then Superman is informed and he's still frustrated, still pacing around the cabin and still killing flowers. Which is how he tests whether or not he's still radioactive. Puts his hand near him and... I don't know why he can't just turn the light off and see whether or not he's still glowing. Yeah. Especially what happens later when he's flying. Right. Now it's start they're in the plane and it's starting to storm and Superman listens to the weather report. But interestingly enough, doesn't want to hear it. You know, he doesn't want to hear anything. He's still frustrated. And then I like that he... When he hears the thunder, that inspires him to turn it back on. Turn it back on, and just in time for the weather report. The weather report had already started. Oh, had it? Okay. He turned it off when the weather report was starting, but they happened to be talking <clears throat> about his area when he turned it back on. I thought he was listening to easy listening jazz. And... Well, it's a good thing he didn't change the station, because right. I'm sure you remember, especially on radio, you change that station, it's hard to find it again. Hard to get it back. Superman is reminded of the shock, and he decides that he's going to try to get himself struck by lightning. As he's flying, you can see the little glow around him. Mm-hmm. And then I believe it's the last one. If you look very closely at it, 
This is what you were talking about when they had a hand draw the lightning onto the. Yes, they're hand drawn the lightning, and it's three or four hits of him. And then you're right, the glow kind of the is gone. The last one hits him, right. and the glow seems to vanish. Vanish, exactly. And then, as you were talking, he looks at his hands. Right. And says, oh, good, and good. smiles yeah, while yeah, he's yeah. flying. Right. They have to film that. Exactly. A whole new take on that. Really good. And then he goes and does what he has to do to force the plane down. Which is basically just coming up to the back of it and shaking it. Yeah. Scaring him and saying, oh, okay, we'll have to land down here and check it out. And and then in the end, and the guard actually, when he comes in, says, yeah, your friend told me he was going to force the plane down here. Really? He called before he said he was going to force the plane. So wait, so you have to go back and think, when did he call? When did Superman call the cop and say, I'm going to force the plane down over there? He used his cell phone. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, again, he leaves the cabin. Did the cop say that he called? That's what the cop said. Your friend called and told me where he was gonna, that he was going to set the plane down here. Also, after he shook the plane, mm-hmm. he could have. that's when he could have gone to the sheriff's station. But the way the cop said it, the cop said he told me he was going to force the plane down here and superman by that point has already forced the plane to to land or at least okay okay what he could have done then was shake them up enough right to scare them think there is something wrong they decide to land where superman has kind of pointed them after shaking their plane which is probably just the nearest airfield the nearest airfield and then superman could have landed and somehow called the cop Right. And told him that I just sent them there. Right. I don't know that the dialogue is a little timey wimey. Yeah, it is. There. Yeah, it is. The dialogue's a little timey wimey there. Why don't we just say the uh, sheriff misspoke? Yeah, yeah. I think that's one thing a lot viewers make a mistake. The characters aren't always right no, when no. when they speak. No, no. And again, you just have to go back to continuity and scheduling and timing and right. and and who knows. There's no time to fix this. But yeah, they really didn't expect somebody, you know, 50 years, 60 years from then coming up and saying stuff about it. Look, I'm sure they they're ha- they would be happy just to know 50, 60 years later that somebody's still talking about it. Absolutely. Clark shows up with the Geiger counter here. Yeah. There yeah. is absolutely no reason for Clark to show up here at all. <laughs> I know. But remember, he's been following Superman for the story. And this is where Superman told him he was setting the plane down and he had to use the Geiger counter to make sure it's all logical. It all fits. It's perfect. No problem with the Geiger counter. And I love the last little tagline. Oh, I do too. That's one of my favorites. Yeah. You know, you wonder why. No wonder you wonder because you're a wonderful girl. Yeah. And I I love her reaction. Yeah. The nice little smile at the end too. So It's almost uh, like that, that smile that says, Oh, he did not just say that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it but it works. It does work, and he gets out pretty quickly after saying that. But it was a real nice little moment, I thought. She's going to have to keep wondering. Right. Yes, she will. But you know, a fun little episode. It is. Uh, it tells a complete story. But anyway, yeah, I, I enjoyed uh, Superman in Exile. Yeah, I did too. This was this is a fun one. Yeah, good show. The science probably doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but. Most of the science in this show doesn't. It's comic book science. Right. So let's take a quick break. I'll play up the podcast promo, and then we'll investigate a ghost for Scotland Yard. 
And that's one of my favorite podcasts. What, a ghost of Scotland Yard? <laughs> <laughs> the promo. I wonder what promo it will be. No idea. Nope. I... But it's one of my favorites, I'm sure. Are you willing to follow me on a journey and risk getting lost in a swirling maze of past ages, protected only by our red indestructible capes as we break through the final unexplored realm of the time barrier to explore the fantastic Silver Age adventures of the world's greatest hero, Superman? If so, join me each week on the Superman Fan Podcast as together we'll follow the Man of Steel, his cousin Supergirl, and his closest friends, Perry White, Lois Lane, Jimmy Olsen, Lana Lang, Batman and Robin, and others in Superman's never-ending quest to defend truth and justice in the pages of Action Comics, Superman, World's Finest Comics, Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, and Superman's girlfriend Lois Lane. Go to the supermanfanpodcast.blogspot.com, available on iTunes and most other podcast aggregators, you can also follow the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Medium, Flipboard, and Stitcher. And after you listen, feel free to send email to supermanfanpodcast at gmail.com. And unless you request otherwise, I look forward to reading your comments on future episodes. And don't forget to wear your red indestructible cape, standard safety equipment for traveling through the time barrier. Welcome back, folks. I'm going to move right into A Ghost for Scotland Yard. Original broadcast date was November 2nd, 1953. Writer was Jackson Gillis again. Director was George Blair again. Guest cast included Leonard Moody, I think I'm saying that right, as Brockhurst the Magician and Rocker, Colin Campbell as Sir Arthur MacReady, Norma Varden as Mabel MacReady, Patrick Ahern as Inspector Farrington, Evelyn Halpern as Betty, Clyde Cook as the News Vendor. And now for our synopsis, brought to you by supermanhomepage.com. On the way home from Sweden, Daily Planet reporters Clark Kent and Jimmy Olsen have made their way to England, where there has been talk of the ghost of Brockhurst the Magician that would appear five years after his death. Brockhurst, one of the world's foremost illusionists and a man full of hate in his heart, claimed that this would be his greatest trick. After Clark returns with their traveler's checks thanks to Superman, Jimmy discusses Brockhurst, Ghost, and Superman with a news vendor and... Just like the great baffling Brockhurst here, him and me... I was like as two peas. That's funny. What? Me taking you for American? <laughs> Supposing I admit the no, truth. No, that... no, I mean that uh, you should mention this Brockhurst guy. He's the reason I ran across over here from the hotel. Mr. Kent, he's a friend of mine. Noticed you had a magazine on Brockhurst. Oh, yeah. Hey, here we are, Governor. One and six. Here. This is it, sir. Wait. Here we are. <laughs> here we are. Hey, what's your honest opinion? Do you think he will reappear or won't he? Reappear. Well, Brockhurst's ghost. You know, his ghost. Brockhurst's ghost. His what? Well, he's been dead for five years now, ain't he? I guess I better read this article. I'm afraid I don't know much about Brockhurst. Yeah. 
Mr. Kenton, he just got back from Sweden. Uh, we went there to cover a story for the Daily Planet. We're on our way home now. We're going to take an airplane back in the morning to Metropolis. Cheapers. Ain't that something now? He was the greatest musician in the world, he was. But he always said his greatest stunt would be to make his own ghost reappear after he'd been dead five years. Oh, th that's impossible. There aren't any such thing as ghosts. There ain't what? Now, let me tell you something, Yank. You're going back to Metropolis, huh? Well, I've got as much faith in a good old English ghost as you have in that there uh, Superman of yours. Oh, but Superman is real. Ah, Superman. I'm telling you, if Brockhurst ever shows up in this afterlife, he'll have a ghost that'll make your Superman turn pale and shaky. And I'm warning you, he'll be real all right. Coincidentally, editor Perry White wants young Olsen and Clark to pay a visit to his old friend, Sir Arthur McCready, who is a theater owner who also, who is also Brockhurst's manager. But Lois, that's ridiculous. You tell the chief I don't believe in ghosts. Clark, Mr. White knows you are planning to come home tomorrow, but this just means staying over in England another day or two to see this friend of his and get the story in Brockhurst. Besides, think how Jimmy would enjoy staying over. Of course, and so would I. But not to do a feature on anything that probably won't happen anyway. That dead magician isn't going to show up as a ghost or anything else, and you know it. All right, Clark, but the chief doesn't. What do you mean? Mr. White got a letter from his friend, Sir Arthur McCready. He owns some theaters over there. He's the one who used to put on the great Brockhurst shows, his manager. Lois, I know all that. Brockhurst hated him. Brockhurst hated everyone. Brockhurst threatened everyone, too, but that doesn't mean he can do anything about it. Sir Arthur wrote that before Brockhurst died, he threatened to kill him. Well, Sir Arthur is so convinced that this Brockhurst can do anything that he's even afraid his ghost might kill him. I mean it. Sir Arthur wrote the chief to tell him goodbye just in case anything happened. That does it. So Jimmy and I have to spend all of our time someplace in the country, wherever it may be, interviewing an eccentric old man who happens to believe in ghosts. Well, I... Oh, okay. Tell the chief we'll do it, but... Well, goodbye. Clark and Jimmy have arrived at the McCready home, only to find the distraught Mabel McCready, Sir Arthur's sister, crying. I feel he's the only one who might help. At least he won't be afraid of him. Jeepers, that's Brockhurst, isn't it? Five years we've been happy. Five years that spiteful soul's been dead. Left us alone. What does Brockhurst have to do with your brothers not being here? Well, he's the one who summoned Arthur. Summoned? On the telephone. Do you mean to tell me that you actually believe that a man who's been dead for so many years could talk to you on the phone? Mr. Kent, I'm so frightened I don't know what I believe. But there was a voice on the telephone, and Arthur talked to it. And when he hung up, he was pale as a sheet, because he said the voice was his. And unless he drove down the coast road where he was, something horrible would happen to this house, to me, to poor Betty, and all of us. Miss McCready, please sit down. Why would Brockhurst want to harm you or Sir Arthur? I mean, assuming a ghost could hurt anybody, if you believe Brockhurst in ghosts. Brockhurst was insane. He always claimed that Arthur's theatres had cheated him. But it's not true. Well, never mind that now. I'm going after him. What? But how can you? Never mind. I'll try and find him somehow. Oh. Mr. Kent! <laughs> he had taken a car down to the coast to Lemon Regis. The elderly theater owner is at a road near a cliff where he hears the voice of Brockhurst. 
This is the place where I was killed. Remember? A lorry struck me down. Remember? Brockhurst, where are you? It's not very nice to die all alone out on the road at night, Sir Arthur. Be quiet. I didn't kill you. I didn't do anything to you. <laughs> Leave us alone. You never believed I would come back, did you? Where are you? No one ever believed my magic could be real, did they? But now they'll believe, won't they? Have you ever talked to a ghost before, Sir Arthur? No, no, it's not true. Here I am, Sir Arthur. Here I am. He passes out from fright. Fortunately, Superman is able to stop his automobile before he anything serious could happen. However, the Man of Steel cannot help but wonder what is really behind the threats to Sir Arthur's life. Scotland Yard's Inspector Farrington is in the McCready home speaking with Mabel and Jimmy when he receives two telephone calls. To make you feel any better, I was there when they buried him, and to a good depth too, you know. He was run over and killed on the coast road by a recklessly driven lorry, poor chap. Well, I can't say I feel very sorry for him. Why not? What sort of a man was Brockhurst, anyway? Well, he was a wonderful magician, none better. But you know, Laddie the Yard had its troubles with him. I suppose, next to Sir Arthur, I was the man that Brockhurst hated most. Ah, perhaps that's you, Mr. Kent. Hello? Are you there? Speak louder, will you? Yes. <laughs> oh, really? I beg your pardon? Of course I remember. Do you mind repeating what you just said? Are you all right, Arthur? Yes, my dear. I'm sure he'll be all right. Careful now, dear. It was a frightful experience. I know. Mr. Kent, hmm? come here. Inspector, they're back. Mr. Shh. Kent's all right, Sir Arthur's all uh, right. Please. Yes, yes, but, but wait. Can't, can't you tell me? I haven't much time, Inspector. I just wanted to make certain you know who I am. Yes, but what, what you just said was that... Uh... Yes, the same words I spoke to you once before, when we had that little difficulty over the Persian parrot swindle. There was no one there but you and me, as I'm sure you remember. Perhaps it will help you to believe that I am... <laughs> who I am. Eh, Inspector? But it's... It, it's not possible. It's not possible. Hello? Hello? years ago. I remember the exact words. What? No one else could possibly know. There was no one there but he and I. It isn't true. But it must be true. It proves it, don't you think? Oh, sorry. Doesn't make sense. You're, you're Kent, I suppose. That's right. Well, I... I've been talking to a ghost. Uh, now, wait just a minute. Brockhurst. Even his voice, just the same. In fact, he said he'd show up for me later on. Well, I'm sorry, Inspector, but I don't believe in ghosts that use telephones. Oh, excuse me. <clears throat> Hello? Hello, operator. Uh, is there any way I can check on a telephone call that just came through here? Well, I mean, do you have any records? Do you go through a switchboard or... What? 
Oh, I see. She says no one has used that line for the past several hours. No one's called that number, even. Oh, I saw it! I saw it at the window! Well, you don't look like much of a ghost to me. Good heavens. Evening, Inspector. I didn't do nothing. Just trying to see Sir Arthur, that's all. I didn't want to run into you, sir. I shouldn't wonder. I nearly got this man jailed for manslaughter five years ago. I couldn't quite make the case stick. It wasn't my fault. It really wasn't. Let me go, will you? Five years ago, this man Rocker was driving a lorry down on the coast road. He struck a man and killed him. A man by the name of Brockhurst. Well, it's getting to be a small world, isn't it? Now, just what did you want to see Sir Arthur about? Take it easy, will you? Sounds kind of crazy. But I was scared, see? And that's when the voice on the telephone told me to come here. I didn't think it was right to disobey a ghost. Bring him inside, Kent. His visit isn't very long if Farrington does not wish for him to be around. Meanwhile, both Jimmy and Superman are looking at different angles to clear up this eerie mystery. Holy comes. Now Kent, take I'm... it easy, Jimmy. After all, Rockhurst was a magician, wasn't he? Magicians do things with tricks, don't they? Yeah, but floating in the now, sky Now, I didn't is... notice anything unusual out there where Sir Arthur almost had his accident. Of course, I was trying to help him. And it did look like he was having a heart attack. But now I don't think there's any time to lose. I'm going back and take another look. Still, a ghost never hurts anybody, does he? Then why did he collect all these people here that he hated? What do you think's going to happen here, Jimmy? The Man of Steel has gone to the area where he had found Sir Arthur and found movie film of Brockers used to make the elderly theater owner believe the illusionist was a ghost. At the same time, Jimmy has discovered from Betty that there was another phone in the McCready's old carriage house. Another thing Jimmy sees shocks him. The evil Brockhurst is very much alive and wants to kill the cup reporter before the secret can be revealed. Where are you? You're not afraid, are you? Only fools and babies believe in ghosts. Too bad you interfered. You and your friend. I was arranging such a nice homecoming for them. All the people I hated. All the people who made it impossible for me to go on living. They'd have put me in jail if I had lived. Did you know that? Nobody ever hurt you. Nobody. People never understood me. I wouldn't let them. I was the greatest magician in the world. You're crazy! Crazy, am I? I'll show you. Inspector Farrington has heard Jimmy's cries for help, but the carriage house door is bolted shut. He is unable to open it. As luck would have it, Superman arrives to break the locks. He, Inspector Farrington, and the McCready's enter to find Brockhurst holding Jimmy at gunpoint. Stay where you are. I have a gun at his back. Brockhurst! Oh! Yes, Sir Arthur, the great Brockhurst. Or his ghost. You're no ghost, Brockhurst. Any more than that picture you projected on the clouds for Sir Arthur's benefit. Very clever. 
It's too bad that none of you will live to prove that the great Brockhurst did not really return from the grave. You should have held Rocker when you had him. Rocker? You were Rocker? You forget, I was the greatest illusionist of all time. Don't come any closer. You're all here, all of you. For the first time you see me as I've always been. No tricks, no beard. I even killed a man with a lorry and made you think I was the dead man. And now I'm going to kill you all, every one of you. I'll blow you higher than the sky. Me, the great Brockhurst. Five seconds after I throw the switch, the fuse will detonate the explosive. I don't mind really dying now, because I'm going to take you all with me. We'll all be real ghosts together! <laughs> Superman quickly grabs his device and hurls it into the air, where it explodes without harming anyone. Now, the mad Brockhurst will spend his remaining days in prison, thanks to Superman, Jimmy Olsen, and Inspector Farrington. As Clark Kent and Jimmy are heading for the airport for their trip back to Metropolis, they meet up with the news vendor whom Jimmy had seen earlier. You know, I still can't figure out how Superman knew we needed him all the way over here. Well, it's been in all the papers. Hey, <laughs> half a minute, Yank. Hello. <laughs> hey, what a bad steer I gave you. Fizzled out like a Roman candle. Nothing but a bloomin' faker he was. Just a ghost for Scotland Yard. Well, now, I told you there weren't any such thing as ghosts. Oh, Jimmy, we'd better hurry. Yeah, we gotta be getting to the airport. Here, half a minute now. I can't have you Yanks going home empty-handed, you know. Here, just in from the States. Read that. Okay, Cap, I'll be seeing you. Show me the outs. Good luck, Yank. Hey, happy flying. So, Bob, what do you think of what do you think of this one? Uh, yeah. You know, it's actually surprisingly, it's one of those that I keep coming back to that I keep thinking it's when I watch it, I like it more than I think I do when I'm just thinking about it. But I, I, I actually really enjoy this. I'm curious if any of these actors are actually British at all. The inspector or Brockhurst or the newsstand guy, any of those guys. I wonder if any of them are actually British at all. I don't know. But, I don't think so. Yeah, I don't know either. But I kind of like the episode. There's not Superman's barely in it. Makes a couple of quick appearances to figure the puzzle out. But I think it's a good, solid second season episode. It is. It's a mystery episode. There were a few episodes in season one that probably also could have been a later season episode. Right. This one probably could have been a season one episode. With the mystery uh, building uh, about Brockhurst. Right. That would have been interesting to see how the, the season one film people, the photographers, the directors, the how they would have handled this episode in that more noir feeling. You know, that's something else, the difference between the first and second season, too, is that they're both in black and white, right. but the first season takes advantage of the media of black and white. They are in it as they use it as one of their tools to shoot. Most of the second season episodes 
even though they're all in black and white, most of these could be color. The The fact that they're in black and white doesn't add or detract. Right. It just doesn't add anything, though, to to the stories themselves. It kind of shot these a little more straight up. Yeah, pretty much. Any of these shows really would have been just as exciting, just as good in color as they are in black and white. And I don't think you can say that about the first season episodes. The first season episodes, black and white is part of their, I was going to say charm, but they're not really charming. They're more, uh, but you know what I'm saying. It's part of the appeal of those first season is that the black and whiteness of them is part of their whole attitude and feel whereas in the second season it could have been either way it's lit as if it was color it could have just been in color well i think it was probably just economics well one of the things i learned when i did some research into the second season was that the change was instigated by kellogg going to color not going to color the to lighten up the show oh oh, the attitude right yeah because it was going to be sponsored by a breakfast cereal the sponsorship color right kellogg had sponsored the first season but when they agreed to do it, it was already... Oh, well, that was already in the can, yes. yes. So this yeah. is the first time Kellogg's kind of flexed their muscles a little bit. Okay. With some influence over the show. Right. And that's probably, which makes sense. Which makes, it sense. makes sense. That's probably what led to the regime change. Because mm-hmm. there were a lot of season one episodes that were adaptations of radio show episodes. Right. We're, we're seeing a lot less of that now. Right. Now we're seeing the- them adapt like, like they did with the last episode we talked about, Superman in Exile. Right, comic book stories. Going to the comic books now. and Right. Or they're just making them up. Well, yeah, that's good, too. <laughs> that's a nice shot of London behind the title card, first of all. Mm-hmm. He is going the opposite way that he, is, that he normally goes. Yes, so, he's going left to right. Normally, he goes right to left. Right. But I guess... And since, we find out that he's coming back from going to wherever he was previously with Jimmy Sweden or wherever they had left their uh they had left something there they left their travelers checks travelers checks right and superman flew back to get them and was just now landing in the apartment as Jimmy Olsen comes in you know i had this nice reasoning that superman was flying the direction he was flying because england is east of uh the united states and mm. but that whole thing from sweden just threw that right out the window on me right bye 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 baby here goes that. Right. But I could see where you would have gone there. Right. I understand. It just, you know, the script tells us. Yeah, the script told us otherwise. Otherwise, He yes. is returning to where he is from where he went. <laughs> yes. So Jimmy, uh, the first time we see Jimmy is he's in England whistling Yankee Doodle. And it's a nice form there on Jimmy's part. And Clark mm-hmm. gives him some, uh, some grief for it. Mr. Kent. Yes, Jimmy. You think that's wise? What? Whistling Yankee Doodle. Is that any way to improve our relations with our British cousins? Golly, I didn't think of that. <laughs> I think they'll forgive you. This is where we learned that Superman was flying in with the traveler's checks because I guess they left him in their hotel room or something. <laughs> right. So right here, Clark wants a magazine. Since Jimmy is in town with him, he's going to send Jimmy to go get it. And, and, of course, Jimmy can't find it. Right, no, but Clark finds it from five stories up and across the street. Without opening the blinds. Yeah, well. He didn't pull the curtains back. And I realized at the time, probably didn't pull them back because of the painted drop, the set thing behind that window. would have, You would have seen too much. It would have looked really crappy. Right. So leave the little lace curtains closed. And it's just Superman saying, right down there, over there. Yeah. I know it's there. Go get me one. Right, and he does. Yeah. 
Jimmy has an interesting conversation with his newsstand. Yeah. And you know, at the end of the show, when we find out who is who and all the characters and stuff, I had to come back, not recently, but way back when, like maybe when I first got the DVDs and stuff, because I thought the same actor played all three of them, not just the two guys, but this guy too. I thought this guy might've been Brockhurst in disguise too. The news, the newsstand guy. Yeah, No, not at the end because Brockhurst is in jail. Right. Well, exactly. It all falls apart at the end. But when I first did it, I had to go back. I thought the same actor played all three parts. Right. And no, I was, it was a different actor playing the newsstand guy. So that picture of Brockhurst on that magazine hanging from the newsstand is kind of creepy. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is where the newsstand delivers some exposition to tell us that Brockhurst has been dead for five years. And they're expecting the go- his ghost to reappear. Right. You know, as the newsstand owner is talking, you can see Jimmy. He's starting to come around. He's starting to believe it. We've talked about this before. Jimmy will believe just about anything. Just about anything. Rabbit's foot in his pocket, horseshoe, whatever. Yeah. So believing in a ghost when he's reading the story. And I thought Jack Larson, again, did a pretty good job here. Like you say, the, the guy's giving exposition. And while he's doing that, Jimmy is then reading the article, or at least skim reading it quite a bit, and picking up some stuff. And gets it back to to Clark. I do like the magazine owner's logic. He, he's kind of mocking the idea of Superman. Well, right. Yeah. You know, because he has not seen Superman, so there's no reason to believe he's real. Exactly. And he kind of uses that as a, kind of an example as to why Brockhurst's ghost can be real. If Superman can be real, why not Brockhurst's ghost? Exactly. Why can't Perry give an assignment himself? We we don't know. You mentioned in the last during the last one that that where has Perry been? I don't know. We'd have to look that up because maybe he was ill because he does miss three or four episodes or have tiny tiny little parts in a run of three or four of these in a row. Right. And but he does come back strong. Right. He does. He may he may have just had another commitment with something else too. Yeah, and he's even featured in Perry's big scoop coming up in a couple of episodes right. or so. So he comes back and comes back strong, but you're right. Three or four in a row here, very little of John Hamilton. Right. And this scene, particularly with Clark talking to Lois, should have been Clark talking to Perry. Right. And it almost seemed a little out of, I don't know, out of sequence or out of something. It felt a little weird right. of the way Clark was talking particularly because it's almost as if one of the reasons he had sent Jimmy down to get the magazine was to read and get into the Brockhurst thing. But here now on the phone, it's like he's being told investigate the Brockhurst thing for the first time. And he's having to stay extra. It almost seemed like this scene should have come earlier in the in the show somehow. And it should have been Perry. Right. Well, it definitely should have been Perry. But right. I can understand him sending Jimmy to get the magazine. That gives him enough time to fly to Sweden and back to get the traveler's checks. Right. But I'm not sure why he sends him again. Because Jimmy couldn't find it. Right. So he sends him again. So he could call Perry, apparently, or talk to Lois on the phone. I don't know. It's weird. It is weird. There's kind of a weird sequential thing here. But it works because then they just cut back to the the ghost part. I want to point out right away that Clark wants no part of this. No part. He doesn't want to do this at all because he doesn't think there's a story there. But then once he gets there, he realizes, I think, you know, a good reporter, I think it's one of the things that Lois in the comics and the lowest that we all like to visualize in our head about her being a good reporter stuff is that she and Perry, even in this show later, he will say something similar to Jimmy that a good reporter will see a story 
You could almost put a good reporter in any situation at any time. You could say, get on the bus today at Elwood and Thompson, take a bus ride, get off and talk to the first few people you see. There'll be a story there. Right. And, and you could almost do that in any town, any city, any place, anywhere. And that is true. So good reporters do that. The fact that Clark doesn't want to do this for some reason because of the ghost right. thing is played a little weird, particularly when I guess that is a later color episode, but the lucky cat or the unlucky cat or something the, like the lucky that, cat. where Clark's whole point of the story is to debunk superstition yeah. and stuff like that. So, so, but again, whatever they need for the plot and it works. So Clark is totally against this ghost story, but it happens to be that the old man is a friend of Perry White's. Which makes Perry not calling even stranger. Again, exactly that point. It should have been much more personal Perry. So I, I'll bet behind the scenes, Perry was scheduled and something didn't work right, here. Right, and swap Lois in to uh, do the phone call. Which is why you even see Lois in in a very plain close-up. Her take on that is very, it's a close-up. It's a one camera, just right there, sit there, read your lines, pretend like you're talking to Clark on the phone. Did he Did he even call her Lois by name during the phone call? No, no. So is uh, it? Wait, maybe. Maybe, I don't know. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Because she said something, well, you know, Perry does. Because he said something, you know, I don't believe in ghosts. And she said, well, something about, well, you know, Perry does or something like that. It may not have been about the ghost thing, but there was a reference in that little monologue dialogue. I think his part was filmed as if he's talking to Lois. They didn't just substitute her for what was formerly or would have been Perry. I think he knew when he was doing his role that he's talking to Lois. It's possible they found out Perry wasn't available that day. Yeah, exactly. I think that was... Rewrote the scene so he's talking to Lois instead. Exactly, exactly. I even thought it was funny at one point when I was watching it this afternoon, I was thinking, you know, technically the two of them, this could be done live right there with one camera pointing at George because it didn't move and the camera pointing at, at Noel never moved. They could have both been sitting right there next to each other and you just never know. It make it look like they're a zillion miles away. Her in Metropolis and him right. in London. But uh, it, it was just a very interesting shot that it was exposition, getting Clark reason to stay there. But the, the way it was shot, again, so unlike the first season where things are happening, things are moving even during dialogue like this. This was literally one camera pointed at Clark, one camera pointed at Lois. Him talk, her talk. Right. Edit them together as if it's a conversation and uh, not very dramatic or anything visually. Just talky talk. Right. So Clark goes to see Sir Arthur, takes Jimmy with him, but he's not here and his sister is afraid for him. She is afraid of Brockhurst and she's called Inspector Farrington, who he won't be afraid of Brockhurst, who apparently. Brockhurst is a good name. I like the name Brockhurst. Yeah, I, I do too. Brockhurst. Yeah. And she said he is spiteful. And I'll be honest, if Leonard Moody's face was looking at me, I'd probably be frightened too. Right. Because he does have that kind of that creepy long face. Right. And that was part of Brockhurst, the magician's shtick. Right. That's part of his thing is to, you know, the greatest magician ever. And it's he was probably the character on stage. He gives the impression that he probably played that mystical, mystery, scary type 
character on stage with his magic act too. Um, he was not a pin and teller jokey guy. No. This guy was probably doing very scary stuff on stage and vowed that five years after his death, he would come back. And he's coming back now. He's back. And apparently this whole thing comes down to money. because Doesn't it always? Yeah, Brockhurst felt Sir Arthur cheated him. Yes. Sir Arthur didn't cheat him. No, Sir he, Arthur's a nice old man. He did. And uh, Jimmy is trying to comfort Mabel, his sister, and he's doing a lousy job of it. Terrible job doing that. I bet that was ad lib. That whole little bit right there. Right. Just comfort her, Jack. Just say a couple of yeah. That's good. Just yeah. say a couple of uh, perfect. Do that. That was a really bad scene, to be honest. Right. I didn't believe her crying, and I did definitely didn't believe Jack's <laughs> portrayal of trying to console the, the poor actress. But it did move the story right it along. It did. It, mo- it moved the plot along. Cause yeah. Here comes... Some- she's, his, she's his sister, not his wife. Yeah, she is his sister. Pe- right. People don't raise their own children, and they don't get and they don't live with their wives. No, they don't, apparently. Right. And the maid, I guess that was the maid, the housekeeper, the, the little girl with the yeah. housekeeper uniform on that had to also give some exposition to let us know that, oh, there's a carriage house with a phone in it right, over yeah. there. Oh. Well, you need to send well, Jimmy to, to where he's going to get locked into. Right. Thank you. All right. So Sir Arthur is uh, driving dreadfully slow and stops near a cliff. Yeah. This is only believable to a kid. Right. Any of this visual take here of this scenes. I, I still love it. I still like it. I think, you know, the old man is doing his best. But wow. Sir Arthur gets there. He sees nothing. Right. Just as he's getting into the car, he uh, he can hear Brock Hurst's voice, and uh, he can't see him. And all we see are the clouds. And eventually... Uh, we hear spooky music. We do, we do hear spooky music. And eventually, uh, Brock Hurst's face kind of shows up in the clouds. <laughs> yes. I'm, immediate, I'm immediately uh, guessing that it's some kind of projection. Yeah. It looks yeah. awfully good for a projection. Yeah. Very good for a projection. But it... Looks as though it gives uh, Sir Arthur a heart attack. Poor Arthur. Because he's trying to uh, drive away. Yeah, in his rolls, tiny little rolls. It's like a short rolls, like a short car. It's weird. But Superman does a nice little jump on the wheel side here of it. Yeah, this is an interesting way to stop the car. Pull up the handbrake. (laughs) Because I landed on the rudder, the runner. Instead of just stopping the car from behind like he normally does. No. He decides to go the extra mile and reach inside and grab the handbrake. Right. Work. It did work. And now we'll go back to Sir Arthur's house. We got a prowler outside. And you know Uh-oh. what? Uh, in a high in high def display, yeah. That mustache isn't fooling anyone. <laughs> Nobody. Nobody. Yeah. Pretty bad. Maybe in a nineteen fifties TV it is, but <laughs> Yeah, but no, I noticed that today too. I was thinking, oh man, that is That is not fooling anybody. <laughs> that's, that's a pretty bad mustache. Uh, I can yeah. more easily buy Clark Kent's glasses than that mustache. Yeah, it was pretty bad. <laughs> so we know that's that's Brockhurst. Farrington answers the phone and apparently he has no trouble answering the phone at someone else's home. And you know, and he goes right to it. Just oh, phone's ringing. Yeah, by Jove! By Jove! The phone is ringing. I must answer it. Hello, are you there? Yeah, nobody was there. Hello, can you hear me now? Are you there? Hello. He didn't say what though. I wanted him to say hello. What? Yeah. Are you there? He didn't do that. No, he did not. And you know, Jimmy is spooked by the fact that nobody was there. But Farrington pays it no no mind and reminds Jimmy that there were no ghosts. And Jimmy <laughs> should Jimmy should know this because he lived through the events of the Evil Three. 
Yeah, but he, you know, it's still Jimmy. He's still, he probably still dreams about that uh, skeleton down there and the old right. woman screaming. Because I know I do. Now, here's a question I have. We're agreed that Sir Arthur and his sister are terrified of Rockhurst, right? Yes. Then why do they have a giant portrait of him over their fireplace? Well, I thought that instantly. I thought, my God, is this Brockhurst's house? Why the hell would you have a picture of that guy up in your main living room and look at it every day? Yeah, I don't get that either. I didn't get it either. Makes no sense whatsoever. But it works as a plot device. As a plot device, it does work. Because every time they talk about him, they're showing the portrait. Right. Maybe uh, maybe Brockhurst made uh, Sir Arthur a lot of money. Right. Probably. Maybe that's why, uh, you know, Brockhurst is pissed. Yeah. Who right. knows? You know what? After everything that went down, I think I'd have taken that paint, that portrait off the wall. Yeah, I wouldn't want to look. Yeah. I wouldn't want to look at that for five years, knowing that he might come back. No, it wouldn't have been up there in the first place in my house. Why would I even do that? It's nuts. It's there because we need we need our uh, plot device. The story demands it, and I believe that the same picture is on as the magazine cover. It is, and the one that I think we see later in the. Uh, Carriage, isn't there one in the carriage house? A poster of it or something? Is there a poster of the in show? There? I thought standing behind him when he turned the lights on and does his little dramatic pose. I might be wrong. He may have just posed like he was taking a picture, but oh, he was definitely uh, going theatrical. Yes, he was. Boy, he was doing it. The phone rings again, and uh, hello, uh, are you there? Uh, well, Farrington went from jovial to awfully stiff in a hurry. Oh, so you're what? Hello. He confirms that it's Brockhurst because Brockhurst said something that only they would know. Right. But not for a second does this cop believe it's the ghost of Brockhurst. No, and, and neither does Clark. And I think that's the nice thing about this is that, okay, the guy knows now he has heard Brockhurst. He's heard the voice that um, McCrary, what's a Madiggy, has heard, Sir Arthur has heard, and whatever, so... Now he understands why they think. But you can tell by his mannerisms and the right. way he hung it up that he knows he doesn't believe in ghosts. So he knows there's something else logical. There's, you know, the game is afoot right. here, it is. folks. So, and I just thought that was a nice little touch that they didn't make the cop, a, a, you know, dumbass. You know, I, I don't like that when they make the cops stupid are just you, to move the plot along. Are you sure they haven't? They have. No, I'm not. In, but, uh, in especially in what happens, what's going to happen next. Well, I know. We're getting there. Because so Clark will call the operator and find out no one has used the phone. Right. Which continues to spook the hell out of Jimmy. Right. So this is when the housekeeper screams and she finds somebody outside. She sees somebody at the window. Is it the ghost? No, it's somebody with a bad mustache. Right. And they catch him and... Rocker, I think his yep. name, right? Rocker, yes. With an O. I at first thought it was Rucker with a U, but apparently mm. it's Rucker with an O. So anyway, the Prowler is identified by Farrington as the man who ran down Brockhurst. Hello? Yep, but they couldn't pin it on him. Right. You just talked to Brockhurst on the phone, and now this guy shows up. Right. How is this disguise fooling anyone? <laughs> Especially people who know Brockhurst. Right. Hell, there's a giant picture of him over the fireplace. Right, and here he comes looking exactly like that with a really bad mustache right. on. Yeah. Well, you know, story. Exactly. And Assume a great disguise. Right. Yeah. Well, he could have used a better mustache. Maybe maybe a full beard next time. Mm. So Clark is starting to do some math and figures out that some kind of magic trick or some kind of illusion, let's call it an illusion, 
And now Jimmy will do some detective work, and this is where the young maid suggests the carriage house. Oh, I'm sorry, did I scare you? What do you want? I was thinking maybe somebody right in this house phone. I mean, what I'm looking for is an extension of the telephone in the sitting room. What? Another phone on the same line. Well, there isn't any. Unless in the carriage house, maybe. It hasn't been used in years. It's all closed and boarded up. Out there. There may be another telephone there. Thank you. You know, and at first I uh, thought maybe she was in on something for a little bit because when mm, Jimmy mm-hmm. kind of wanders toward those, uh, those French doors there, she seems awfully defensive. Like, why are you mm. looking around? Right. Yeah, I didn't. I never, never thought she was the bad guy. No. Just. Just, she got scared. Yes. Curious and scared. So Superman will go back to the scene of Sir Arthur's heart attack. And <laughs> Brockhurst has conveniently left some film negatives on the floor, on the ground there. Right, right at the post sign. Yeah. Right there. So some uh, Sup- carelessness by our villain. Uh, by our hero who didn't trip over it the last time he was there. Well, he justified that by saying, oh, I didn't see anything, but I was too busy helping Sir Arthur. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a very weak justification. Yeah, really. But, you know, they did show it on screen, him helping Sir Arthur. Right. Got his head tilted back. He's loosening his tie. He, you know, he was doing what he said he was doing. And that, so they didn't have to just make that up. No. He actually was tending to Sir Arthur. Right. So he was not looking for negatives being left behind on the floor right and plus he didn't know he didn't necessarily see it before landing to help arthur no so um he would have no reason to look around at that point i'm not sure why brockers couldn't pick up his uh film when he left but oh crooks always leave something behind somewhere they always make a mistake they do so jimmy goes over into the carriage house now and he finds somebody in there and he turns the light on and it's Brockhurst. surprise who is going to deliver a very spooky uh, villain tells his plot. <laughs> right. Well, but very theatrical, very, very dramatic. Theatrical, yes. Very, you know, professional. And Jimmy is going to call for help now, and Brockhurst uh, does things the old-fashioned way. He's going to pull a gun. I guess yes. his magic has run out by this point. Well, I think it's interesting, too, that um, they could hear Jimmy in the house, but they didn't hear him falling and stumbling and knocking all that stuff around in there. But they heard him yelling all of a sudden. Oh, now we hear something. Let's run out there and see what's going on. Right. And this is when Superman shows up and pulls the carriage house door open. Yep, and they all confront Rockers together. And Superman saw the... Uh, Saw the trick, and he's taking no crap. No, not any at all. And it's it was also nice of Brockhurst, though, to to give a five-second delay on the bomb and to tell everybody there was a five-second delay so Superman knew that when he threw the switch, he had five seconds right. while that guy was going to continue his performance. Right. Superman and, got there. And it was also nice of Brockhurst to reveal to Inspector Dumbass that he was actually Rucker. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, you should. You should well, I, I okay. I'm still going to go back on my other thing that it that he was not Inspector was not a dumbass. That Brockhurst was a great illusionist and gave the impression we're we're supposed to believe that Brockhurst fooled them into thinking he was Rocker. That that disguise was so good, none of them saw through it, and that's the angle I'm taking. That the Scotland Yard Inspector. 
is not a dumbass. He just didn't see through the disguise because Brockhurst is that good. No, you're not, you're not buying that? Well, the problem is the timing of the guy who ran Brockhurst down showing up, the timing is too close to be a coincidence. Well, it was the people involved. It was all of, that's what, it's what Brockhurst wanted. All of the people involved in his death collectively at the same place at the same time. I will kill them all, even if one of them happens to be me. Right. Well, he (laughs) shows with the bomb that he is willing to kill himself. Yes, he's willing to do that for showbiz. Yes, and he want they're all, he's willing for them all to become ghosts together. Yes, showbiz. But yeah, fun, fun. Very fun episode. Very, very fun. Uh, I think that we, you know, the last couple of episodes, we've had some, some really good episodes. We've done some, and uh, I think it really puts to bed some of the people's complaints who will say, well, only the first season is any good. No, that's really not true at all. There are plenty of really good Superman stories throughout the entire series. And just in the last couple of weeks, we've talked about, and I think three of the four definitely that we've talked about most recently are good, solid episodes. And, uh, you know, there are some weak ones in the second series, in the second season. Overall, I think it's, uh, you know, fairly solid. There is one thing (laughs) we haven't mentioned. Yeah. The, The ending scene. Ah, right. Where the newsstand owner that we see again, he yes. gives Jimmy a copy of a Superman comic book. Right. And it's one of my holy grails. I want that comic. But my God, is it expensive. Probably for no other reason than it was on this show. Than it was on this show. Yeah. it is That adds to its price. It is Superman number 83. Cover date, July of 1953. So we can kind of surmise when this episode was filmed. And the cover story is called Clark Kent Convict. Mm-hmm. And it's got a dummy of Clark Kent dressed like a convict while Superman is breaking out of the prison. Well, is that a dummy or is that a... When I, I went on the uh, DC database to find cover. Yeah. One of the items it listed as part of the story was a Superman robot. Oh, okay. Okay, it could be a robot. Could be one of the early robot stories. But uh, on the cover, to me, it looks like it's kind of a, a dummy. Right, it does. Uh, uh, it is one that I would love to have. I would love to have. I have several Superman comics in the 80s in right. that around that time period, but not that one. I have 89, I have 88, 82, I think. I'd have to, again, look at my database. This is not but, the first time that we have seen a Superman comic show up on this show. Mm-mm, mm-mm. There was another episode back in season one where you could make out a, I think it was Crime Wave, where if you look right behind the guy in the beginning, the guy hawking back the... The newspapers. Right. If you look very closely in the top right corner, that's an issue of Action Comics. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, they do it throughout the series right. and through in the color episodes, too. Several times, Lois or one of them will show up at a newsstand, and on the newsstand will be a Superman or Action Comic. I don't think so. there was anything, though, as obvious as this one. No, not where he actually, actually just holds it right up in the front of the camera. You can pause right on it. and Which uh, is what I did and then did an image search for that cover. Right, exactly. And then once you find that, it takes you the rest of the way. But a great way to end the story because now when it brings it all back that now the guy believes that Superman is real and he has a comic book to prove it. He does. Because there were no comic books, no Superman comics on that newsstand in the beginning of this episode. No. He he mentioned it when he gives it to Jimmy. It was fresh in from America. Right. 
um, at the end of the show, not right. at the beginning. At the end, when he handed right. it to Jimmy. Right. Until- but anyway, yeah, yeah, fun oh, episode. Uh, you know, uh, it's a it's a fun episode. It's a good episode. I don't know that it makes my top ten black and white or not, but it, it's an enjoyable episode, and I enjoy watching it more than I think I will when I think about what am I going to watch. Right. You know. <clears throat> so um, yeah, so good, so really good. I don't think we have a failure here. I don't think we do. I don't think we do. And we have some classic moments, and they had to shoot a couple of scenes specifically for this. But it would be interesting to find out in the uh, the history somehow if John Hamilton was weak or sick during this week right. that they shot these last three or four. Because they probably shot these last three or four episodes in the same week or two at the same time. And it would be interesting to know uh, where, why he wasn't here, because some of these scenes are obvious. That was supposed to be John Hamilton there. Where's Perry White? So uh, who knows? Next time, the show is going to go to the dog as we're going to meet the dog who knew Superman. Oh, that's a cute episode. Followed by one of my favorites, The Face and the Voice. Ah, The Face and the Voice. It's one of his favorites. Is it one of his favorites? It was one of his favorites, yeah, according to Noel Neal. And Jack Larson, they both say that whenever he was asked, he pointed to that and used it in his, when an actor does little bits of his, 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 his reel, his, right. you know, here, this is my work. Right. He would use uh, scenes from that episode in that. He was very proud of that episode. Well, good. That'll be fun. Yeah, Those will be two that, good episodes. That's a fun one. So good. Before we go, Bob, why don't you tell the good listeners where they can find you? Superman Forever Radio uh, at supermanforever.com. And in fact, if you wanted to send me an email, I'm Bob at supermanforever.com. So how's that? Is that cool or what? That works. That is cool. Yeah. So, yeah, that's where I am mainly. I'm also doing a show with John M. Wilson that we're looking at the Silver Age through those 25-cent giant annuals. We're calling it the Giant Superman Podcast. And those are a lot of fun. And that's really me. That's what I'm doing. Talking a lot of Superman. Got some new stuff planned for the coming year. So check it out. Yay. And you can find me in the usual places. You can send me email at manascreen at gmail.com. The show can be found at manascreen.podomatic.com. And if you want to join the conversation over at the Facebook group, you can put that into, just put the Manascreen podcast into your search menu and it sh- it'll come up. It'll be one of the first things. The show is also on Twitter. You can find that at Man of Screencast. I post mostly new episodes and show updates there, but you can tweet at me over there. So you can also but, review the show on iTunes and Stitcher, and it can also be found on Google Play. So for Wow, it's everywhere. It is everywhere. So for Bob Fisher, this is Mike Zumo. Thanks for listening, folks. Have a good one. Don't miss the next thrill-packed episode in the amazing Man of Screen podcast. The Man of Screen Podcast is produced by Mike Zemo, and all opinions on the show are those of Mike Zemo and his guests and no one else. All music is in sound clips used in the making of the show or for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All trademarks are copyright their original copyright holders. The Man of Screen Podcast is a member of the Superman Podcast Network and can be found at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. The homepage for the show is manofscreen.automatic.com and you can email the show at manofscreen at gmail.com Thanks for listening.